Welcome back to Prognosis Ohio, I'm Dan Skinner. For the past few years, many Central Ohioans, including myself, have been asking what a world with less policing might look like, and whether we have it in us to think creatively about policing and alternatives to our over-dependence on criminal justice models. On this episode, I talk with Stephen David and Alwia Sharif of the Columbus Safety Collective about their efforts to advocate for just such an Ohio which they see as a health-centered, anti-racist alternative response that prioritizes public safety. Before turning to my interview, I want to share just a few announcements. First of all, while we're dropping two episodes in September, we're still working towards our big reboot in mid-October. That reboot's going to include some new regular features and a better, more professional presentation, but also some legit promotion to help these episodes reach a wider and more diverse audience. I can share with you that Prognosis Ohio has formed a new relationship with the Center for Community Solutions, who will be generously supporting the show during the coming season, as well as helping us to produce some short roundups of important things going on in Ohio that we think you should know about. As longtime Prognosis Ohio listeners already know, the Center for Community Solutions is an organization that I have great respect for. We've done some fantastic episodes in the past, for example, with Lauren Anthes, and we've spotlighted some of the health and human services journalism CCS has supported. In addition to their select episode support, you'll also be hearing from CCS personnel on a more regular basis, giving us their hot takes on policy developments in Ohio and bringing their expertise to bear as a way to reflect on some of our interviews. So, to be clear, Prognosis Ohio isn't changing in any dramatic fashion, but this support's going to help us to deepen our conversations and to push them out far and wide so more folks will hear and hopefully engage with them. If you don't already know about CCS and the excellent work they do in our state, take some time to visit their website at communitysolutions.com. Second, I'm super excited to have Angela Lynn join us as a copywriter. Angela is an experienced nonprofit professional and a really good writer who's been a fan of the show for a while now. To read Angela's show notes, go to prognosisohio.com where you can listen to past episodes and learn how you can support the show. Okay, now to my conversation with Stephen David and Alwia Sharif of the Columbus Safety Collective. So the Columbus Safety Collective exists to create, and I'm cribbing from your language here on your website and some of your materials, uh, you exist to create an anti-racist, health-centered emergency response system for the city of Columbus, and you want one that operates independently of the division of the police. I'd like to start by asking you, and maybe we can start with Steve, in what ways is the current system not centered on health? Well, so, yeah, thanks for that question, Dan. I think our... Um, I think to say that our current public safety system isn't centered in health uh, has become really oh, obvious. Sorry, so you can't touch the mic while he's talking because okay. I won't be able to edit that out. So let's just start a clean answer there. Cool. Yeah. So our current public safety system isn't centered on health in a lot of ways. You know, so much of this conversation that we're having as a safety collective got started in the summer of 2020 during the Black Lives Matter uprising of that summer uh, when a lot of people saw for for the first time like how policing was actually functioning in this country so we know the racist origins of policing uh in the united states and we have seen plenty of instances here in the city of columbus where um columbus police have have reacted to um and 
and killed people who are in the midst of mental health crisis. So we just know that the way that we invest in public safety doesn't prioritize health. And the Safety Collective is here to get us to rethink that model and how we can use our public dollars in a way that really incentivizes people's well-being and lifts up community expertise. So let's turn to Alwea. Uh, the Columbus Safety Collective also aims to develop uh, this, this system for certain emergencies. And I found this language interesting because you know, we've become a society, and I'm editorializing here, but it's my show, I'm allowed to. <laughs> uh, we've become a society that for too long kind of defaults to calling the police for a whole range of situations in which they either aren't helpful or they could even make matters worse. Um, I'm wondering how you distinguish situations that require police from those that don't. Like, where where is that line being drawn? I, you know, I'm not familiar with the literature here, but perhaps, you know, how do you think about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think a lot of the times, um, you know, you call the police because you're expecting support, right? There's a there's an incident that's happening, and you need somebody to either de-escalate the situation or you're not feeling safe. Um, traditionally, that's how the police are supposed to, right, um, engage with the community. But we've seen that's not how they've necessarily operated. I think part of um, the idea of knowing, and I think this is the, some of the pushback that we get, right? It's like, well, if you do that, then the pe more people are going to get hurt or there's going to be more violent crime. Well, we're saying like when somebody calls 911 to be able to have a conversation, right? Because nine, to, like, eight times out of 10, that call is not does not need a police response, right? They need somebody to be able to de-escalate the situation. And since the police aren't necessarily trained in that way yet, or at least to a capacity that will make a difference to the community, we do believe there needs to be an alternative way. And we also know that the, there are some uh, folks who, you know, within like the criminal justice world who do understand like this is the right model to yeah. approach. Steve, you want to add to that? I would just like plus one what Awiya said there. You know, we know from what happens in other cities, like 94 to 95% of what police do does not involve violent crime. And we look at the dispatch data here in the city of Columbus, the top three things that police get called for are burglaries that have happened, general complaints, and traffic enforcement. Mm -hmm. So the vast majority of what we pay law enforcement to do does not require an armed law enforcement response. So we're trying to match the majority of what already happens and what they do with a system that doesn't inject additional risk into those scenarios. Are there specific situations, you know, for those listeners who may not remember or, or, or be, you know, apprised uh, of them, in recent history, re recent memory, where we can kind of see this on display, right, where, um, you know, there's been a shooting or there's been a, a policing activity that could have been handled differently that you think of or that you return to in our community? So at our recent People's Safety Forum that we held at the end of July, two of the members of our collective spoke specifically about their experiences. Uh, so so Chana Wiley's brother, Jaron Thomas, was murdered by police um, during a mental health emergency. Uh, Ms. Angie Williams, uh, who's another member of our collective, uh, has has told her story about when she was experiencing crisis, uh, was, was criminalized, and how that's followed her and, and her employment and everything since then. So um, and an interesting thing about as we've done this work is even people who haven't had a family member like directly harmed by law enforcement have a story like this of, oh, I saw someone on my block and I needed some help and I didn't want to call the police because I was afraid of what would happen or they came and made things worse. Like as we've done this work, those stories emerge more and more. And so 
I think when we start to actually hear from people and let them talk about it, we see that non-police emergency response is something that most people want. And actually, the data that the city collected in, in 2021 like really reflects that. I guess, you know, when, when you think about responses you get to this, one of the responses I've heard from police is, well, we need more training, right? So that it's about training instead of this kind of alternative. How do you think about the opportunities that come from just training our police forces better as opposed to a non-police approach to this? For sure. I mean, I, I definitely agree. They should have more training <laughs> um, and be able to get the support that they need to do their jobs better. But at the same time, I think community knows what community needs. And so, and what we hear all the time from folks is like they would rather have a community or even as a community member themselves, right? They would rather see somebody that looks like them be able to come. And you know, we know traditionally, if you're trying to de-escalate the situation, you have to meet people where they're at. And because of the history of the police, especially in the city, if somebody sees somebody approaching them with a uniform, with a gun, right? Or with a taser, that doesn't necessarily feel like they're de-escalating the situation. And most of the time you feel, and you know, traditionally if the police are called, you feel like there's something wrong, right? Like I did something wrong. And so, yeah, it's a better solution to have community folks. And it, and, and it's going to save taxpayers a lot more money, right? It's going to save city a lot more money. And I think it's also going to put the onus on the community because it's like we do want to be able to solve our own problems, right? It's like we don't necessarily always want to rely on somebody else to come in into our communities and solve the problems for us. Um, and when we do, it's like we can do that. Let's turn to another kind of take on this. You know, personally, I've found it really hard to talk with political leaders, um, but is but also police and other law enforcement officers about approaches like this. Uh, there's, it seems like law enforcement folks tend to think in law enforcement ways, which is not shocking. But uh, to get out of that, to say you know we can be more creative about this. So I, I'm curious, um, what kind of response do you get? from law enforcement. And and I'll put it in another way too, which is you need their buy-in at some level, right? I mean, some police officers sure. I've spoken to are down with this. Mm -hmm. uh, they understand that they, you know, there are limits to what they can do, but how do, how do you keep what the, you know, what the Columbus Safety Collective is doing from just becoming a, you know, us versus the cops kind of thing? So one thing I would point to with this is, um, that the city of Columbus collected their own data on what the people of our city want to see with this. And I think that we should be centering resident voices in this process and listening to what people want for their communities. And so December of 2020 and January of 2021, the city of Columbus did this reimagining public safety process. They paid a consultant to collect uh, survey data from over 4,000 residents here in our city. And 85% plus of those people said that they are somewhat or very comfortable with non-police emergency response for the range of things that you would traditionally think about it for, for things like homelessness, mental health crisis, addiction crises. And 60% of the people in that survey, and this is the city's own data, right, mm -hmm. said that the least important thing to them for maintaining public safety was armed police patrol. So we, if we're going to like use our, our public dollars to give the people what they want for their communities, we should be investing in this. That's the, like, and so a piece of this to me is 
is not about like engaging or convincing law enforcement to buy into it. It's let's give our communities what they want. And as Awea said, another part of this is lifting up the community expertise that's already there. Mm -hmm. The Safety Collective wants us to prioritize community workers in hiring up for a non-police emergency response program. Community members are the true first responders. When something goes down on your block, the first person to be there is your neighbor. Law enforcement is always going to be the second ones come. They come after something bad has happened. So we're trying to invent a hiring process or pushing the city to do a hiring process that lifts up folks from our high-need neighborhoods that have that cultural fluency that can do this work effectively. And the problem with the data approach is that we have lots of good data on lots of things in Ohio, but we have real democratic unresponsiveness too. I mean, I've never seen a state be able to ignore data quite like Ohio does, <laughs> you know, and compelling data, data that, you know, really gives us a, a roadmap of what pe where people are and what we need. Steve just gave us a couple, uh, like the kind of high ground picture on that. Do, do you see a similar kind of dynamic? I mean, what are the conversations that you have or that your members have with law enforcement? Is there any, I know you don't necessarily need their buy-in. Mm -hmm. But man, police can shut things down in this city too, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, the mayor, sure. you know, really wants to make sure that they feel loved. And there's a lot of uh, sensitive emotions, yeah. shall we say, t t tender feelings uh, out there. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, and I know there's been a couple of um, community forums that have happened in the last couple of, uh, in this year alone, I think, um, where community has invited, you know, folks from the city, folks from the police department to sort of have this conversation. And um, honestly, it, it's not helpful necessarily yeah. because we know where, where the police stand. I do agree. There are some folks who, you know, do support this. Right. And, um, you know, and I think, you know, maybe some for some folks more than others and maybe politically they can't necessarily um, say that out loud. And so I totally and wish wish you all would get a little bit louder um, because we need. Yeah, we need folks on the inside to sort of keep supporting this because that's how reform is going to happen, right? And before we get to, you know, these bigger conversations around like abolition or deforming the, or deforming, defunding the police, um, we want to, or deforming the police, I don't know. We want to, uh, you know, we got to get to reform, right? Which I know is not necessarily an answer that a lot of um, super lefty folks want to hear. Like I definitely, you know, if, if it was up to me, yes, let's, let's take it all down and start all over again because we know it hasn't worked, but we have to, deal with the reality that we're in right yeah. and people do live in communities where they do need support from the police right. which is unfortunate but like yes violence does exist i know that and so um and so I think there just needs to be a balance, right? And I think for us as the Columbus Safety Collective, we've really chose to not necessarily engage with the police in, in that way um, because we, we want to focus on the community, right? We know the police are having their own conversations. We know that there are advocates on the inside that is trying to change um, the culture and, you know, do more training and all. And that's great. We'll support that. But that's not what we're here to do. Right. Like, we're here to... Vote, give the community a voice. I mean, it's interesting too. You know, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that about defund the police. You're looking at some data around the communities. I also look at national data. And when I saw the defund the police um, slogans out there, I went and looked at, I think it was Pew. who tracked. I mean, the police are, is one of the most highly rated institution in the United States, depending on how you word the question. So we need to attend to the political realities and have conversations that bring people around. And I think talking to the community about what is your actual experience 
you know, again, I, I live in a very privileged, predominantly white community. I live in Grandview, and there are issues with our police that we want to talk about. But we, what we always hear is, yeah, there are these issues, but we just want to make sure you know that we support the police. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. You can support the police, but what about the issue we're raising? What about the substantive issues? So being able to thread that within this political discourse is important. Yeah. So, Dan, to me, this is a question of, um, of smart public policy and how we spend our dollars correctly. So this is a nationwide movement we're seeing of alternative crisis response being implemented. Um, the, the organization Transform 911 has tracked 137 different initiatives like this across the country. So people in communities all over the country know that this type of non-police crisis response is something that they need. And the reality is like one of every $3 in our city's operating budget go to law enforcement interventions. The police get more money every year if crime goes up, if crime goes down, they always get a bigger budget. We are spending more and more and more on this intervention. And we we know that it does not it didn't prevent a spike in violent crime in 2020 and 2021. Mm-hmm. It didn't cause the drop in violent crime that we're seeing this year. We know we are trying to use data and evidence to drive what happens with our public spending. So part of what the Safety Collective is asking for is for um, a a randomized control trial to be done as part of the pilot implementation to actually know what's happening. And so that we can then use our public money effectively based on what is the most cost effective and like the least harming way to respond to people who are in crisis. And so we are trying to to break this mythology in our country of dumping money into law enforcement to solve all of our social problems when we know that that's just not an effective use of our public dollars. Yeah. And I want to add that the city has some programs, I think, that they want to introduce, right, where they are doing almost like a co-responder model. And I think that they've done their own research and their own evidence. And I know we met with some folks from um, Adam H. I don't know if we can say that. I think we can. Yeah. And um, yeah, and they, uh, we know that they're interested in this, right? They've also done the research. They know that this is good for the community. But at the same time, I think that we know that it need, it needs to be more transparent, right? And like we need some of that da- data. We need to know who's actually going out there, what's actually happening. And so it's great that the city wants to introduce these programs, but also it can't be them policing themselves yeah. to know whether these programs are working or not. And so just saying like, yes, it's like it's happening. And so it's a it's great that this is a conversation that we're having, but we know like. As community advocates, we got to keep pushing them. And who better than Adam H. to have those conversations with? They're, they do great work in our communities. Steve? Yeah, you know, and one other thing that I would like to add to this point that LWA made is this question of scale. So the the police budget for the city of Columbus is currently a third of our operating budget. It's around like $350 million. We want to see the city of Columbus implement a robust pilot and take this to scale. Like we see non-police emergency response as a third arm of law, of our public safety apparatus. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking like a little program over here to deal just specifically with mental health calls. Yeah. We think that this needs to be like a robust investment by our city. And we've seen our our elected officials talk about the programs that they've done already, the co-responder model, 
Spark, React, the right response unit, which is a social worker in the call center. We've seen them talk a lot about these programs. We want real money behind those things rather than just talking points. This can be something that we invest in wholesale. And as I said, over 130 models across the country. This is a time for us to see bold leadership from our city leaders on this because we know that the community already wants it. Great. And as we always do, you just uh, ripped through a whole bunch of different programs. We will be providing links to folks on our, our show notes so they can read up on those a little bit keeping in mind that what you're asking for is for these things to be real and sustained and, you know, and, and, and well-funded. It's different. That's, that's a different thing than just talking about them. I, I, I want to ask just a final question, which is, you know, I mean, we, we kind of launched right into the issues, which I think is, is, is important, but let's take a step back on the collective you've formed. So who are the folks that are involved with this work? And, you know, what do you need? You know, what, what, what kinds of, um, for listeners who might want to get involved, but also just in general, how are you going through the next phases of this work? And um, hopefully, how are you going to be successful? Yeah, so the origin story that I tell about the Columbus Safety Collective um, is one where in 2020, there was a, an activist in town who uh, created this um, this Instagram account called the People's Budget of Columbus and was putting out some of this data about how much of our public dollars we spend on police. And the Columbus Dispatch actually ran a, a fact check of one of her graphs saying that it was inaccurate. And so I put out um, what I thought was a more accurate graph on Instagram and basically got connected to this, this network. And so me and a couple folks um, that summer connected and just did some advocacy to the city around this. And then the following summer, I got a call from Ms. Sharif over here saying, hey, I think this could be a campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can win it this summer. And and it's taken a little bit of time since I t- <laughs> to build it out um, because these are really like entrenched long-term narratives, right, that we're trying to work against. But so the Safety Collective is a um, is a group of folks who are, we're community members, we're advocates. Some of us represent um, n- nonprofits or advocacy organizations. You know, we have we have social workers, uh, we have folks in the, in the disability rights space, uh, we have um, uh, people in the housing space, people in the faith space. So uh, is an, an open table for uh, people who want to come and who see this as something that our community needs. And as far as like what we need from folks, uh, you'll be seeing um, more from us this fall. We're going to be launching a series of community conversations to follow up on our People's Safety Forum, where people can come and tell us the stories that we've heard already and, and that they have about why this is important. I love the story, Alwea, of you you're thinking that this was going to be like, you know, next year. Or, I mean, that's what you need. You need yeah. people who believe, right? Yeah, but- I literally came in um, thinking, I told Steve, I was like, okay, I have three months to work on this. Um, so three months from now, we're going to pass this and we're going to be done. And it's been a year later and we literally just had our first public forum. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we've had a lot of um, great community engagement and have really heard the stories from the communities. And we really think these are really powerful and deserve a space. And I think for, for me, my interest is really like, yes, it's great that the city is doing all this data and, you know, doing all of this research. And yes, but also it's like these are real people's lives and real stories. And so for me, I'm really interested in um, having folks come out to these community forums and um, the way we're doing them across the city. So the way the city has it set up is they have these five safety zones and that's sort of how they're approaching um, their strategy for how, yeah, like having these safety conversations and where they're putting the budget. And so the way we are kind of 
formatting our safety forums is also in those five zones mm -hmm. to kind of have some real again if they want data and they want right all of this um sort of numbers and let's give them that, that right but at the same time i think getting our community to really see each other and see that you know we we do have the things that we need <laughs> um in the communities that we already have and creating that space and so i think what we need is folks to come out come out to the community forums follow us on instagram at um, columbus safety collective and um yeah we're gonna start doing more like community engagements and i think for for me the interest is really to just show the city that the community is here we can advocate for ourselves right. yeah and we're we're excited yeah one last point i just have to say as a researcher myself um yeah, there's data. Qualitative data is data. And people's stories are data, right? And and we need to elevate them in that way. And it's that's important work that you're doing. So again, Alwia, Steve, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dan Skinner. I received editorial and production support from Angela Lynn. The music was produced by Kyle Rosenberger. To learn more about Prognosis Ohio and to check out an archive of past episodes, including episodes that are nice counterparts to today's conversation, please visit our website at prognosisohio.com. Prognosis Ohio is a member of the WCBE Podcast Experience and the Health Podcast Network. We'll be back in your podcast feed in a few weeks. Please be in touch with us if you have ideas for guests, topics, or ways we can improve the show. In the meantime, be well and thanks for listening.